You are now listening to the Superhero Education Podcast, featuring Professor Eugene Pitchford and Dr. Steve Gurner. We are real educators tackling the real topics in education. Listen to be informed, inspired, and entertained. With no further ado, here are your hosts to the Superhero Educators Podcast. All right, we want to welcome everyone to another edition of the Superhero Education Show. And like we've been giving you guys a lot of exclusives. And we have another exclusive today. Um, I'm Eugene. We have Steve. And we have a very special guest, Alan Borsuk. In my mind, I still want to say Milwaukee Journal, but Milwaukee, I still call it Milwaukee <laughs> Journal Sentinel. But this is an exclusive, y'all. Um, a lot of the educational articles that we read in southeastern Wisconsin, we have the gentleman that has wrote them. So like this is this is huge. This is big time and he sees it all. He sees it all, the good, the bad, the ugly, the nice, the known, the unknown, he sees it all. But Steve, I want to hand it off to you first. Sure. We thank you, Alan, for coming. You are what we call a superhero reporter, a great mind in education. So let's start off by telling us about your current professional role? Well, it's unusual. In fact, I'm not aware of anything comparable to it uh, around the country. Um, I was a longtime education reporter at the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. I agree with Eugene. I still sometimes call it the Milwaukee Journal. I go back a long time. But I left there um, in the summer of 2009, so that's over a decade ago, and almost uh, as a whim on the part of the editor at that time, he said, well, why don't you start writing pieces? Because um, I didn't, when I left, I didn't really have any plans. Um, so I did. And then a few months later, I got a position, a very nice position, but it's hard to explain at the Marquette Law School. I'm not a lawyer. I don't teach anyone. I have the title of senior fellow, which on a certain level is entirely true if it you take it literally that I'm an old guy. Um, but I work on a variety of programs at the law school. I work on the law school magazine. Um, and I'm still writing these pieces that I started writing a decade ago. So I don't work for the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel anymore, but I still write pieces for them most oh. every weekend. Um, and I intend them to be, uh, they label them commentary, I believe, which is to say it's not just me sounding off. It's an attempt to give uh, some perspective on what's going on. I hope give people some things to think about, to put some issues um, uh, in the spotlight. Um, frankly, the state of education journalism in Milwaukee is really not very good. There just aren't very many people doing it. That's not a slight to the handful of education reporters there are, but there's just a, a very small crew at the Journal Sentinel. There's a full-time person at uh, WWM Radio, who uh, I'm, I'm very glad that they have that position, but it's really much smaller crew than it was 15 years ago. So if I can keep issues in the spotlight, that's my main goal. And uh, I agree with what Eugene said. I try to just do it straightforward. I don't speak for Marquette. I don't speak for the Journal Sentinel. I don't speak for any institutions. I just write what I see going on. The one thing uh, Eugene said I disagree with is, I know how much I don't know. <laughs> and I'm just not out there as much as I wish. So, so no, I don't know everything. I wish, I wish I knew a lot more. I wish I got out to a lot more 
well, when we used to have schools in person, <laughs> I wish I got out to them more. Um, but I keep trying and I keep trying to put things in the spotlight because I think it's so hugely important, the whole subject of K-12 education. Absolutely. During unusual times with the COVID-19, uh, so what do you, what's on your mind educationally now in the last few weeks? What, what goes through your mind? Well, I, I don't see a way to paint this in really happy terms. It, 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 it just, isn't, just isn't the way it was supposed to be at this point. And there is, I'm sure, such a thing as high quality distance learning or online learning or whatever label you want to put on it, uh, homeschooling, whatever. But it requires a lot of effort and a lot of care in planning it. And that isn't what happened here. This all hit in some huge shocking moment, basically that Friday afternoon, uh, three weeks ago, I believe it is, um, as we're recording this. Um, and so to do it on such an unprepared basis is um, is really tough. And so I don't see how this isn't a setback for the education of thousands and thousands of kids in Milwaukee, in the Milwaukee area, and, and nationwide. Uh, how can it not be? That said, it's pretty clear a lot of people are scrambling. Um, frankly, some people are not scrambling, some school districts and schools and teachers, but a lot of people are. And some schools are doing a lot better job than others of getting material out to kids, of connecting with kids, of trying to maintain a teacher-student relationship, of uh, providing the technology. Um, I was just looking at a piece uh, uh, from Education Week on urban districts that are buying tens of thousands of Chromebooks or iPads and passing them out to kids in hopes of, uh, of keeping a connection and keeping the whole enterprise of education moving forward. Um, MPS, frankly, Milwaukee Public Schools is just beginning to tackle that. Um, they're behind the curve, to be honest. Um, and and uh, the, the superintendent sent out a letter on April 1st saying, let us know what your home technology situation is. And by mid to late April, we're going to start to get some things out to you. I sympathize with them because they've been overwhelmed. Their priority has been getting food out to kids. Um, but so far, they're not on a par with a lot of other urban districts. And they're definitely not on a par with some of the independent schools um, that are in Milwaukee that are way ahead of them, that have gotten technology out, that have really launched pretty uh, strong home-based education programs. Is it the same as being in school? No. but um, there are schools out there that are doing a bang-up job given the circumstances. Now, you, you, get a, you get an opportunity to potentially, even may, probably even more than us, to just to see a lot. And through this time period we, we are in right now, we're seeing the learning either go one, two, or three ways. We're seeing learning packets. We're seeing online learning. And then I've heard of several districts or even smaller school systems where teachers, believe this or not, are even dropping off work to the house and then coming back at a later time. Like, I don't want to ask you, is, is one method more impactful than the other? But maybe the question would be, just in your network and when you're around, 
do you see one predominant avenue that the majority of the schools are going for individuals that maybe aren't in education or or individuals that are in education is wondering, are we doing this the correct way? There may not be a correct way, but is there one way that you see is more prominent within either southeastern Wisconsin or the state? Well, I think, I don't know if there's a predominant way because I just don't know if anybody has a handle on overall what's going on, but I can, and, and to be honest, I, I don't regard myself as an education expert. I'm pretty good at education politics and policy and the landscape, but uh, what really works between a teacher and kids, I, frankly, I, I want to be cautious about sounding like I know more than I do. That said, here's a thought. I think one of the things we're learning in this period, and this is, uh, uh, and nobody has any data or anything at this point, but one of the things I think we're learning is the value of teachers and teacher-student relationships. Absolutely. That, that the schools or individual teachers who are doing the most to stay connected with their students, to stay in touch oftentimes daily, um, whether it's by Zoom or by uh, uh, FaceTime or by, uh, what's it called, the do dojo, classroom yep. dojo, um, whatever it might be, or by telephone, email, anything. The ones who are doing the most to stay in touch are, um, th those are the best situations. I'm really confident of that. And those are the ones where the kids are going to have the least setback from this. So, you know, you, you pick up a, a packet of, of homework from, from uh, uh, a distribution point in Milwaukee, which is one of the things MPS is doing a lot of, it's not tailored to the individual kids. There's no relationship with the teacher. It's for all third graders or all sixth graders. And you say, um, is this really good? Um, is it the best we can do? It might be because the circumstances are so extreme. But is it good? No. If you got a classroom electronically um, and you've got assignments, you've got projects, um, then that's way better. So the more there's something that resembles a teacher-student interaction and relationship, I'm sure that's the best. Um, and there is a wide range out there from nothing to things that are really quite admirable. And gotcha. I would agree with that. I think that's how we always, we see the effect of this in education is when we talk about relationships, student engagement, and then we go to the content, and then we go to the rigor. And if we just push out the content before the student engagement or the relationship, I don't think we see the results that we'd want to see. And I wonder what, what do you think education is going to look like after? After we return, if we put normal in quotes, what's education going to look like for students when, we re, when they return to the classroom? Uh, to be honest, I don't have the foggiest idea. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's a really important question because and to some degree, and it probably won't be until September, I think this school year's toast, um, especially as far as anything that's done in person and in a school building, including graduation ceremonies, which I suspect a lot of schools will do them sometime in the second half of the summer or something right. like that. But how, how do you get back to normal come next fall? My guess is, I mean, people are really resilient kids, teachers, parents, um, there will be some sense of going back to normal. 
But number one, this was a setback. Number two, there are a lot of things to be learned from this, but I don't even know quite what. Um, I know one of the things we, we do at the Marquette Law School that most appeals to me is that we're able to bring together programs, sometimes bring in national experts and uh, have discussions around these kind of issues. And uh, boy, I know I'm going to want to wade into that once we get back to being able to do these things and say, let's get a bunch of people together and talk about this. What did we learn about distance learning? What did we use about the, learn about the use of technology in education, which has frankly been a subject that has never reached the potential that its biggest advocates yep. thought it would, whether it's five or 10 or 20 years ago. And say, oh, technology's coming. It's really never worked that well. But what are we learning now when it's the whole show in some way? So yeah, there's going to be lessons, but I don't know what they are yet. One lesson is not going to be, by the way, the whole sense of testing for Wisconsin forward tests and ACTs. That's just gone for this year. So any sense of learning how kids were learning this year as far as data is just going to be wiped out, which is, I, I agree that tests aren't the end all and be all, but it's regrettable that we'll have nothing. It's one of those unintended consequences that yeah, we can do yeah. nothing about. Like it's just, a minor matter in the big picture, but nonetheless worth noting. Right. We, um, you, you brought up earlier the power of relationships with the teacher and the student, and, and that's, that's right up my alley. And um, one of the things that I'm hearing is that for teachers that already had good relationships, and I, I don't want to put teachers in the boat teacher's assistants that's working through Zoom or Google yes. Hangouts or Google Classroom or teacher's assistants, teachers, administrators that had great relationships, they seem to be more successful at this point. Now that could change, but they seem to be more successful in keeping contact with the kids, engaging in learning, whatever that means, uh, troubleshooting. And you see a pattern also of educators that weren't that didn't have a good relationship, they're not getting any communication at all also. And, and so I say that and tie that into this one too. One of the things I, I keep hearing, which I find absolutely incredible, is students who did no work all year, <laughs> they're starting to do work in this online format or work packet format. So I wonder how the relationship shakes out there. It's, and I agree with you what you said. So I don't know if that's a question, but I'm just following up with that point. It's like such a strong point. And how do we keep building relationships even in this space? It's, it's, it's so weird to me right now. Oh, it's uh, uh, name a situation in the big picture, the global picture that's weirder than this. I mean, uh, someone said to me yesterday, if space aliens landed, it might be a little more dramatic than this, but that's about it. Um, so it's, it's really weird out there. Um, and and I agree with you, the the, the people who, and, and the educators, and by that I mean the entire school communities in, in most cases, who are most pouring themselves into pouring themselves into their kids yeah. are the ones who are making the best impressions here. I thought that some kids who weren't doing anything are uh, now beginning to do some things. That's really interesting. I mean, maybe boredom has its limits. So if you're home all the time, Maybe school looks more appealing than it did when you were actually in school. I'll throw out another subject. You ask, going back to what's the long-term impact here? I'm really, really 
wondering what the long-term impact will be on teacher uh, pipeline issues, people going into the field, hiring. This is a huge setback for the conventional systems of hiring teachers for next year. Um, uh, for one thing, so the short-term uh, teacher pipeline issues may be pretty big. Long-term, maybe it'll be a positive. I think a lot of people, I have no idea what the number is, especially parents who are home with their kids are realizing what the value of a teacher is here and how hard the work is. I see uh, Twitter comments from celebrities and average parents and everybody saying, well, now I figured out teachers deserve a billion dollars a year because I just spend two hours with my kids and, and they're all being suspended or <laughs> I want to expel them from school because it's so hard. So maybe the value of teachers as actual one-on-one -on -one or one-on-group educators, that relationship thing will be a lesson from this. So maybe there'll be some positive sides to the teacher pipeline, but short term, it's going to be difficult, I assume. I think that's a great topic to explore. Does, does the respect of the teacher increase through this? I think that's one side of it. I agree with that, that that's, that's, a, that's what's happening. I think the, the fear I have is when we talk about the technology and efficiencies, if we go too far in that, do we say, you know what, it's very efficient for to use Zoom technology, to use these laptops. That's cheaper than paying for some of these teachers. Uh, regardless if we see the student achievement numbers or not, we go just on the business efficiencies. That would scare me a little bit without having some concrete data what, what we're seeing. There may be some greater interest in like home schooling after this because people are doing it, but I doubt it'll be that big. I, I think the reverse is going to be true, that people are going to understand how tough and important teaching is and how valuable it is. So, so that's my positive spin on what's going on. And, and school systems, um, going back well before this whole coronavirus era, that have really tried to do a lot of computer-based education, uh, you know, student uh, programming and, and um, uh, learning online or learning in a, a lab with a non-teacher monitor, a lot of them have backed off from it because they realized it didn't work so well. It wasn't so simple. And even in some cases, you know, Rocket Ship, which was based out of, is based out of San Jose, but has two schools now in Milwaukee. Rocket Ship originally made its mark by having a program in which kids spent a lot of time in computer labs and doing a lot of uh, interaction with the computers with a, a non-teacher aid kind of overseeing what they were doing until they realized the results really weren't that great. So they modified their program. They still use computers quite a bit, the whole blended learning thing right. and so right. on. But if you're really looking at what works, I don't think overall anyone's found a better alternative to a really good teacher and a, and a really good class culture classroom culture that would be a great positive outcome if that can be uh, echoed throughout our country to say the need of of a high-performing educator is truly valued that'd be outstanding let's shift into a, a different topic here so where do the politicians stand in this do they need to get more involved in education do they need to 
to get less involved and let the educational leaders take the forefront? What, what do you think about the politicians? They're all wonderful, great people. Okay, well, maybe not. <laughs> I, I don't, here's a, I, I don't know what they should do. I can give you a guess on what they will do. I think the priority coming out of the coronavirus era, and I do assume at some point we will, um, is going to be so heavily on jobs, the economy, reviving businesses, looking at that whole economic landscape, which is going through enormous shock waves. Um, they're going to be so focused on that that they're not going to focus very much on education, whether it's the Wisconsin legislature, the governor, um, national policy. Um, you know, there is a presidential election still coming, and it will make some difference who wins that election. <laughs> but, but I think the, the next, I don't know what, months, years, are going to be all about rebound, jobs, 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 business, business, business. And uh, there'll be some attempt to, certainly schools will be treated as important, but I bet there is not going to be too much initiative or change. It's just going to be like, can we hang on? And we keep things going. Um, in Wisconsin politics, I think we're going to inevitably come out of this 2020 legislative elections. It's not an election for governor, but we're still going to come out with a Republican control controlled legislature. And you're still going to have a, a Democrat in the governor's office, which is a formula ultimately for gridlock and for not much changing. So Governor Evers in the budget a year ago, year and a half ago now, wanted to uh, do a lot of things to curtail charter schools and voucher schools. He knew it just wasn't going to happen because the Republicans weren't going to allow it. Um, whether it was a good idea or bad idea, I'm not touching that subject, but was it going to happen? No. And is it going to happen, uh, you know, next a year from now, spring of 2021, we'll have another state budget. Is anything really going to change much then? Not as far as that landscape. I think there's been a lot of attention on total money and recovery from this period and maybe to what to be what can be done to uh, improve teaching, including salaries. But uh, I, I think the, the education political scene is going to be focused on restabilizing and hanging on, recovering for quite a long time ahead, a couple of years. Now, now, Al, because I'm in the education field, I tend to look at things from an educational lens, either first or second. And so when we're having these political debates, I tune in when they talk about something about education, like it catches my attention. <laughs> uh, it catches my attention. And, and you kind of said it in a different way. We're going to look at rebuilding the economy. We're going to look at jobs, health health, uh, medical infrastructure and all that. And I'm just raising my hand like, hey, like, what about education here? Like something, I don't know what the something is, but I, so I guess my question is, and it's not really like a political party question, but just wh why do you think if education, is, like if we do education right, it definitely benefits the future. Or if we do education wrong, it definitely makes it trickier. Why do you think, people don't now life or death is one thing so i'm gonna push that to the side but why do you think people just 
aren't into education unless something just drastically negative happens. Well, I, I agree with uh, almost everything you said there, including you know a lot of things in the world of politics and uh, every every point along the spectrum. I just sort of wait for them to start talking about kids learning. You know, um, I I am always transfixed by the very disturbing proficiency levels of, of Milwaukee kids when it comes to reading and math. And that's true in, in MPS. And it's true almost to the exact same degree in the private schools. It's a little bit better in, in the independent charter schools, but still not such a pretty picture. And I say, so what are we going to talk about? How do we teach kids how to read, <laughs> how to do math, how to have a full school program, including arts and music? And so, you know, some of that's you could argue on the table with the MPS referendum that is uh, underway as, as we're speaking. But nonetheless, yeah, let's talk about education because it is so hugely important to the future. But uh, why, why don't people actually tune into it more? I don't know. Why isn't there more of a sense of crisis around the state of kids in Milwaukee? Um, to be honest, I think some of it is that... Uh, um, you got haves and have-nots, and the haves mostly have decent schools, and the have-nots don't have such great, successful schools. But the haves can say, I don't know, my kid goes to Nicolet or or uh, Homestead or Brookfield Central or, or uh, you know, school districts that are in much better shape, uh, largely connected to income and, and uh, that kind of issue. So, no, the, the, how are kids doing is an issue that just doesn't get enough attention, in my opinion. Now, you know what's, what's funny, Al? What's funny about this is literally last night, Steve and myself, this is probably around 8 o'clock last night, we were, we were talking on the phone, and we literally had this conversation of have and have-nots. Like, we literally had that conversation last night about how it's affecting some people, not others. Like, when you brought up districts buying Chromebooks versus districts that don't need to, and how, how does that play in edge? We literally had this conversation last night, so it's very interesting that you brought that out. Yeah, and, and I think in this coronavirus era, and it isn't always connected to income, although I bet overall it still has that shape, you also have uh, some sense of the rich getting richer and the poor getting poorer, and I don't even mean money, but those who are going to schools that are more energized and have better leadership and so on are going to come out of this in better shape than those who are going to schools or in school districts that are beat up. Um, and we got some pretty beat up school districts around here. Um, you yeah. talked so, about yeah. measurements of success about the standardized testing and the forward test, the test that we've we won't have a chance to view. And there's other ways we know, you talked about school leaders, we can tell if, you, if a school has a strong school leader, there's gonna be more success there. Can you, can you tell if you're in a good school right away? I mean, after visiting a classroom, uh, interacting a little bit, can you tell if it's a good school or not? As a gut feeling, um, yeah, usually. I mean, I've had, really uh, people I really respect as educators and I've sometimes gone along with them visiting schools who say, you know, sometimes you can walk into a school and within 
two minutes, you just have a sense it's happening here or it's not quite happening here. Um, I, I wouldn't base a judgment of a school on, on a two-minute impression, but I would say it's very often that <laughs> the more you find out, the more you find out you were right in, in those first two minutes. So, yeah, you, you know, you can walk. I, I, I can think of times I've gone into schools. And I think there's things I personally don't like to see, which is teachers yelling at kids. <laughs> That's one of the highest on my list. Um, you know, principals who are clearly uh, not not team players themselves. Um, teachers who, who are, you know, you, you can walk into a classroom oftentimes and you really get a feeling whether there's an energy there, there's a connection, that relationship thing that we were talking about before. You know, just how are the kids and the, and the, and the teacher interacting? Um, so, so yeah, you can, you can spot when you're in a special place. Um, and they, they do exist. They exist in Milwaukee. They sometimes exist in, in schools where you might not guess that. But overall, um, you know, and, and I should add test scores, even if they're not the end all and be all, it's usually pretty true in my experience that a school with good test scores is a school with, um, with a good atmosphere and a good energy to it. Um, I, I sometimes have said that that you need a, a strong school is a school with uh, muscle and music is the term I've used. Muscle being a rigorous program, a real commitment, some accountability, shall we say that that if either a kid isn't doing well or even if a teacher isn't doing well, there's some intervention. But you need the music. Um, you need the sweetness to it. Uh, uh, some of the best schools I've been in are not test prep factories. They're actually fun places. They're very hard working, but they're fun. Um, and the best leaders I know are capable both of kicking people in the rear end, but at the same time, putting their arm around them saying, and I'm here to help you get better. So that sweetness, that, that music, so to speak, is a really important element of the school. And I see it out there. To this day, I see it out there. Well, not this week. Nobody's in school. But, <laughs> but in general, I, I could name schools where I really think they have a long-standing record of success. It's not a one-day, one-year thing. That's, that's, that's really interesting. I often, I mean, you said it better than, than how I could state it, but I often look at when, when I get a chance to go into a lot of buildings, with knowing or not knowing their test scores, the first thing I look for is hope. Like, do, yeah. do the students yeah. have hope? Yeah, that's a really good point. Right, do the teachers have hope? Does the administration have hope? Do the parents have hope? And, and it's just like what you said, like within two minutes, you could pick up on if there's hope or not. Now, you could be wrong, but it's usually pretty accurate yeah. on, on if there's hope or, or, or lack of hope. And the, the one thing that I would just add to that is, like, especially tying that into this time, like how do we provide hope like for all of the above for the parent who's frustrated? How do we provide hope for the teachers who are frustrated? How do we provide hope for the school administrator who's frustrated? I mean, it's, it's, it's such a weird space. And I think the platforms that could provide some form of hope, because like you said earlier, the academics at this point, as, and I hope no students are listening, well, I want students to listen to our podcast, 
But the reality is, academics at this point, I don't want to say it's mute, but it's almost like, are we really going to downgrade kids because they're not doing as much online work or work packets? Like, to me, it's like, whatever, wherever we at, that's where we at right now. So let's work on hope because when this stuff blows over, we got to walk back into the school and it's going to be so much to clean up. And if we can work on this track of hope now, I think we'll be at a better potential starting point. The schools and the school communities that come back from this period with, uh, I, I think that's excellent what you were just saying. Um, and, and that's really, really important. But I, I would say that the schools and, and school communities that come back from this period that start next August and September with the best version of positive energy that they can come up with are the ones that will make the most progress. Positive energy in a, an array of things, but that hope, hope for the future, hope for the future of the kids. Um, uh, you know, I've, I've seen character ed analyses where optimism is one of the highest correlates to student success. If a kid feels like I've got something to gain here, that's when they'll persist. That's when they'll show, you know, the grit and all those character traits that uh, we hear so much about. But uh, yeah, hope. You got an awful lot of kids, especially in, in low income communities, but even in your highest income communities who just feel like, you know, they're not hopeful. They don't see a future for themselves. That's a real concern in this period because things are so destabilized. You say, well, the world's going to pieces. What, what's the difference? Um, I'm afraid a lot of kids may be saying that. And, and it's very important to try to uh, fight that and say, right. no, we got to do the best we can. Right. And I, and I just want to sneak this one and sneak this one in. Speaking of hope, we I had a conversation with some kids yesterday on a, on a, on a higher ed level. And so like in the, on a higher ed level, like one of the bigger conversation is pass fail versus traditional grading. And one of the students said, well, if you give me pass fail, I'm going to stop caring. If you give me pass fail, I'm going to feel that I was cheated as a student. So it's, it, it's interesting seeing that, that hope piece or the effects of it from K-12 all the way to higher ed. It's just, just a phenomenal thing just, to, just to, to watch and observe. There's so many good books that can be written on this time right now? Well, I think for this semester, pass-fail is inevitable. In fact, <laughs> I just don't know how you could do a normal assessment of student progress, even in the, the best possible ways of doing it um, at this point, because things have been so off the rails as far as normal, <laughs> normal activity. But this is an exception. Uh, ultimately, I went through a similar thing like this. This would be the spring of my sophomore year in college, which showing my age, 1970 at Madison was an extremely um, disrupted atmosphere. It was an enormous amount of protests, Vietnam, Kent State, Cambodia, uh, uh, racial issues. So we had a very abnormal semester. And at the near the end of the semester, the university announced every class has passed fail this time because no one could have had a normal experience. And 
things went back to normal after that. It, it was actually just a one semester thing. Um, it didn't really change the academic progress of the institution. Um, uh, uh, and I think that'll be true here. So I, I wouldn't judge anything by this semester. It, it's just gonna have to be that way. Gotcha. I have one more question. Is, and this is more a broad question. As we think of Milwaukee, specifically Milwaukee education, and we have, we have the vouchers, we have traditional public schools, we have the charter schools, we have a lot of things going on in Milwaukee. Are we doing, in your opinion, are we doing a great job that we should be an example? People should come in and study what we're doing here? Or are we not at that point because it's too much of an experiment? To be honest, I almost think we're past that point. Um, that back in 10 to 20 years ago, I think it was around 2000, 2001, that uh, Education Week had a piece that said Milwaukee is ground zero for uh, educational initiative. And that was largely pegged to the rise of the voucher schools and, and the charter schools. The fact that those initiatives, and they are very popular, there's no question of it, and I don't think there's any way to undo them just as a practical matter. But nonetheless, the same gaps that existed before the rise of those uh, schools and th those initiatives still exist. That the, the, the black-white gap, the income gap, the uh, opportunity gap, and whatever label you want to put on it. So if there's anything that we're, we have definite bright spots. We got a lot of really dedicated educators. We've got a lot of, we've got a number of really good schools. Um, but overall, we've got a, a landscape that's enormously changed as far as the, the mountains and the rivers and the valleys, but not changes too much as far as the outcomes. And one of the things we haven't had, and I think communities that have made more progress, like Boston or uh, uh, Denver or, or uh, Miami, um, have had much more of a, of a community-wide sense of being part of, of making things better. We have such divisions, especially over the voucher, non-voucher line, the public school people versus the voucher people. The business community is divided. Um, the, the whole philanthropic situation is, is divided. Um, the sense of a common purpose. I, I think it would, in my dreams, uh, you know, the, the leaders of all these sectors stop fighting with each other and say, we got to do stuff for kids. It's about kids. It isn't about vouchers. It isn't about public schools. It's about turning, getting kids positioned to, to have great futures. And if they united around this, you know, if they united around, there's some issues that people would agree on, the value of, of building up uh, preschool programs, early childhood programs, uh, for example, or the need to do better uh, for uh, a special ed and funding of special ed. Um, you know, there's certain things that everyone would agree on, but that lack of community unity and momentum and support of kids succeeding is a real problem for Milwaukee. And I wish 
maybe somehow some of this current atmosphere will help bring people together but that's pretty wishful thinking but but uh, uh you know there's lots to study in milwaukee because we have had so many things but the main lesson is there's something here that doesn't just involve bureaucratic structures and funding um, it, 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 it's going back to teachers and relationships and the quality of what goes on the chemistry in a classroom or chemistry between a, a child and a teacher um you know that's one of the things i think we've learned is it's really about pretty basic stuff and that's why we appreciate alan because you do it's at the focus in everything you do so thank you for that i'm i'm glad to have this conversation uh, you guys are the ones who really do the work i just sit and watch so so i applaud you and i applaud you for doing these kind of efforts to help people uh, stay informed and to uh, further the conversation about these things. All right, Al, so we're winding the show down and we always do it in a, in a particular way. I'm, I'm gonna go first, Steve's gonna go second, you can go third, in which if you have anything of where people can contact you or any websites or social media or any product to pitch or school to pitch, Whatever you want to do, you get the space to do it. And then we close the show out. Okay. So, all right, so I'm going to go first. Uh, want the listeners out. Well, first of all, we appreciate Al for coming on to the show, um, sharing his knowledge, and, and hopefully you learn something. That's the goal of this show, for you to learn and to be informed. And we try to bring the best of the best to talk about how it works. We don't, we don't tell you how to do it. We just showcase what works, what doesn't work, where you can fit in, where you can't fit in. But on that note, I want the listeners to always remember this, this podcast is currently aired. It will be aired on Apple, Spotify, and Podbean. So whatever social media device or platform you use, you can find us. So that's number one for me. Number two, the book Superhero Educator in stores now, Amazon, Barnes & Noble. Number three, book Gumbo for the Soul. Volume three, yours truly wrote chapter 53. Steve Gurner, go ahead. I'd love to give a shout out to the Center for Urban Education Ministries, a national nonprofit organization that is relentlessly strengthening urban education. So get connected with the Center for Urban Education Ministries on their website and see how you can be involved. And I'd like to thank Alan again, a superhero mind in education and we appreciate you being with us. Alan, do you have something you'd like to share? Well, I, uh, I'd i only say I really value and pay close attention to any input I get from anybody, uh, parents, kids. Uh, I don't hear from them nearly enough, people who are involved in the schools. And so uh, do feel, let me know, I'm, I'm, maybe I'm old fashioned, but email is still the best thing for me. Uh, uh, alan.borsuk at marquette.edu, A-L-A-N.B-O-R-S-U-K. Um, and my stuff is out there in the newspaper pretty much every weekend. Um, uh, this is a time when news organizations nationwide are uh, really, really under siege financially and, and we're paying for it uh, in seeing less coverage. And I greatly value quality news reporting including not everything and not just education so support your local news organizations 
I think that's valuable in helping with education. On that note, thanks, Al, one more time. To the listeners out there, we want you to have a great week. And maybe the themes of, of our podcast today was, was relationships and hope and quality education. On that note, we want you to have a great week. See you next week, same time, same place, and we are out. Thanks again for listening to our Superhero Education Podcast. We hope you gained valuable insights and key concepts to battle the chaos and save the day for all students. Boldly transform lives and be a superhero educator.